You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coach, and welcome to episode 64 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. I am Chrissy Beltran of Buzzing with Miss B, and I am your host. I'm so excited to chat with you today because we are going to talk about something really important, and that is lessons that I learned from my first year of instructional coaching. So let me just start this off by saying I learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> I had a lot to learn. And, you know, I've been coaching in, in different contexts for about eight years now, and I still have a lot to learn. Things change. We change. You know, yesterday I was talking to my husband because I did an interview with Steve Barkley, and that was a previous episode of this podcast that you can check out. Um, it's a great episode, too. I really think you should listen in because he is just a font of useful information. That's episode 55 that, that I uh, shared with Steve Barclay. And I was talking to my husband about it and I said, you know, the more coaching work I do, the more I realize how little I know about coaching and how little I knew. And he said, yeah, whenever you first started, you went in cold. And I said, I did go in cold. I had very little experience with coaching. I had very little experience as a teacher with coaching. I had served as a mentor for student teachers, but that is, is different kind of work, you know? And so I think that so many of us, we move from the classroom to instructional coaching roles, and we have so few of the tools that we need, and we're just expected to transfer working with kids into working with adults. And guess what? doesn't work that way. <laughs> there are two different things. Now, there we can learn a lot from our teaching experience that supports us as instructional coaches, but there is so much to learn about coaching as a craft and as a field in itself that if we just expect people to jump into it uh, without any sort of, of ongoing support, that means you have to do a lot of learning on your own. And that's the whole premise of this podcast, right? Every teacher deserves a coach and every coach does too. And so I really hope that this this episode today is impactful for you because I hope it validates some of the struggles that you're having, if you're having struggles. And keep in mind, these are lessons I learned in my first year of coaching, but that doesn't mean I figured out all the answers. These are just things that I learned I was doing wrong, <laughs> or maybe not the best way. But I know that, that I am still getting better at some of these things because they are my natural lean to do them. And so we're kind of sometimes working against our own personalities when it comes to this kind of work. And I also hope that this episode gives you some ideas of a direction you might go as you're looking to grow and change and kind of learn about um, a different way to do the coaching work that you're already doing. So I really believe this one's going to be helpful and important to you. I mean, I don't include any episodes in this podcast that I don't think are helpful, but this one I think is going to be helpful because it's going to talk about some of the challenges that I had and what I learned uh, that I needed to do differently. So maybe you'll, you'll see yourself in some of these challenges too. So the first lesson that I learned from my first year of coaching, and I learned this one pretty quickly. I want to say it was by October. I was already like, uh-oh, mess this one up. <laughs> I would love a do-over, but I can't get one. Is build relationships purposefully. So I thought as a new coach that I was building relationships. And let me tell you a little bit about what I did to build those relationships. I made really cute gifts. I made these little pencils out of Rolos and a Hershey Kiss. If that does not build your relationship with a teacher, I don't know what will. 
<laughs> Clearly it did not work, right? I mean, people liked them. They were cute. But did that mean that I was going to be uh, trusted and credible and liked by teachers well enough to invite me into their rooms? No, no. So I made these cute gifts. I spent time talking with teachers, but I really didn't get to know them and their, their teaching framework and the way that they viewed their work. Communication for me was a real struggle because we were all speaking very different languages, uh, instructionally, professionally, and sometimes literally. This was a bilingual community. And I live in a bilingual community. El Paso, Texas is incredibly biling bilingual. Um, I would guess that more than half of the people here are bilingual in English and in Spanish, uh, whether that's in writing is a second, you know, a separate thing. But as far as speaking, people are, people are frequently bilingual here. And the community that I came from, of course, had bilingual teachers as well. We had dual language, just like the school that I moved into. But we did not have as many teachers who chose to speak Spanish conversationally with each other. And so whenever I moved to a different school in a different part of town, it was a different setting and a different community. There were more teachers who chose to speak Spanish conversationally with each other. So even that, because I am not fluent in Spanish, I have very limited Spanish. I have worked on it and I learned a lot working in, in the community that I was a coach in um, and just being an El Pasoan. <laughs> but it really was a challenge for me because I would not be included in certain conversations and I kind of had to figure out how to navigate that. Um, sometimes I was intentionally not included. Sometimes it was just because I didn't even realize that I wasn't bilingual and fluent in, in both languages. So these different languages that we were speaking, literal, you know, actual spoken language, as well as our instructional language that we had completely different vocabularies and our professional language that we had completely different experiences really made it a challenge to build relationships. So teachers who communicated the same way I did it was easy for me to build a relationship with those teachers. They made sense to me. I made sense to them. Teachers who did not communicate the same way that I did, that was where it was really tough. And sometimes I was receiving messages from teachers and my stress level would shoot way up because their method of communicating was so different than mine. And it sounded like a lot of complaining. It sounded like a lot of blaming. And I really struggled with that. Um, I had a physical and emotional response. And like Steve Barkley says, if you feel yourself getting defensive, just shut up. <laughs> That's great advice. But he was not around whenever I was coaching. Well, he, I mean, he was around. He's been around forever. But he was not, you know, knocking on my door telling me, hey, just shut up. And sometimes I should have probably just shut up. So, <laughs> so that I did have that physical and emotional response to people being um, what I've perceived as, as very negative. And it took me time to understand. And I had to learn the hard way that I thought I was building these relationships, but I really wasn't because I wasn't getting to the heart of each teacher. The way that I learned the hard way, and I talk about this in a previous episode, is that someone told me they were very hurt that I wasn't helping them. And I thought I had been helping them. They were getting everything everybody else was, and I had even worked in their classroom. But I apparently, like in retrospect, I can see that I wasn't getting to their level of, of where they were at that point and communicating about the things that they needed. I wasn't focusing my work on where they felt they were struggling. And I didn't understand that the constant negativity and the complaints were cries for help. 
And if you're experiencing that, I do recommend that you go back to that episode that I just mentioned, uh, the Steve Barclay episode, where we talk about working with teachers who are demonstrating resistance in episode 55, because he gives you some great ideas about what you can do whenever you are faced with frequent negativity or with teachers who it feels like they have, they have more gripes than solutions and ideas. He gives you some really great strategies about moving those complaints into goals. And so totally start there. Another source that you can look into is Joellen Killian, and she's actually going to be on this podcast too later this year, so I'm really excited about that. Um, she's, she's a guru as well, and she talks about coaching light and coaching heavy. Coaching light was the chatting and the making the Rolo pencils, right? <laughs> but coaching heavy is figuring out what people need and getting it and making it happen with them, collaborating around what those needs are. Not just being helpful, but actually being purposeful and supportive in your coaching work. So that's a really great resource to look into as well. It's going to change the way that you think about building relationships, relationships with teachers. That was my first lesson, building relationships purposefully. My second lesson that I learned was I really needed to educate teachers about my role. <laughs> and I talk about this a lot. If you've been listening to the podcast or if you followed me on social media or if you have attended any of my webinars or coffee and coaching membership or any of the places where I put information out into the world, I talk about build, defining your coaching role and really sharing that effectively with teachers. Because I didn't. So I know what a huge mistake it is not to do it. When I started, I was introduced as the expert. And that was a huge mistake because everybody else thought that I was there to have all the answers and I felt like I was also supposed to have all the answers, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. I thought everybody else knew what I was there to do though. And so what's silly about that is I didn't even really know what I was there to do half the time. So how could they have known? I was expecting them to know something that I hadn't even figured out completely. My administrator had told me that I could define my role. But I didn't know where to start. And I had read a couple of books about literacy coaching because I was a specifically a literacy coach at the time. I had read a few books about this, but I didn't really see anything about how to educate teachers on what you do and why that's important. So I thought I had defined it enough when I introduced myself as someone who was, quote, there to help. Oh, boy, that is not enough. And now I know how not enough that is. So even teachers who have to work with coaches or those who have already worked with coaches in the past, they probably really don't know what it means when you say you're an instructional coach there to support. What does that look like? Well, it's a collaborative relationship that we're going to build in order to improve student learning, right? But that is not what comes across whenever we say we're the expert or when we're, when we're introduced as a support person. That could mean anything. That could mean that you're there to make copies or that you are there to tell them what they should be doing and check off items on a list when they're not doing them. So here's what I should have done. And I talk really in depth about this in episode 22, which is defining your coaching role, and in episode 23, which is sharing your coaching role. What I should have done is I should have identified exactly what kinds of supports I was able to provide and then created a coaching menu of those supports. That would go, that's in episode 22. I would walk you through the whole thing. Then you can use that and a slideshow to explain exactly what you're there to do. Okay, so you've got your coaching menu. I talk more about this in episode 23 and your slideshow to explain what you're there to do for your teachers. And then you have to actually walk the walk and do those things. <laughs> Approach your teachers 
and refer to the menu and use your tools. Come back to that concrete tool that you've created over and over again, because that will reinforce what you have shared with your teachers and it will reinforce the idea of what you're there to do. So, so far we've got build relationships purposefully and educate teachers about your role. Number three, my number three lesson is what I just mentioned, don't have all the answers. And I talk more about this in episode 53 as a myth about coaching. But basically, the issue is that I'm a natural problem solver. I like to figure out solutions and I do it quickly um, because I feel confident and comfortable when I have a plan. That's what makes me feel really good. If you're an Enneagram person, I'm, I'm planning on having somebody from, the, from an Enneagram um, expert, area of expertise come and talk to us on this podcast because I find it fascinating. And that, that one, I tested out as a one wing two. And the one really resonated with me because I do like a plan and I do like to know what's happening and I like to have a sense of control. That is what makes me feel confident. So if I can create a plan quickly, I feel really good about what's going to happen next. That's just what I'm good at because it's what saves my life every single day. <laughs> but coaching asks us to wait and ask and listen and collaborate. And that's something I had to get better at. So the problem was if someone came to me and said, my kids are struggling with grammar, I could say, try mentor sentences. And if somebody came to me and said, my kids don't listen to directions, I could say, try whole brain teaching. But that didn't help anybody think through their issues. And most of the time, they were not going to go back to their classroom and Google mentor sentences and get good at that. And they most of the time were not going to say, well, could you help me with, with, with whole brain teaching? They weren't doing that. They were like, okay, great. I'm going to knock myself out searching for that stuff, I guess. And then they didn't do it. So it didn't impact teaching and learning. This is what I should have done. I should have said, can you tell me more about that? What have you tried? What did that look like? Why do you think that they're struggling? What does it look like when they struggle? And then you get a true picture of what's going on in the classroom. And from there, you can continue questioning and collaborating to figure out something that the teacher believes in. Once I started doing that, then we were actually creating change in the classroom practice. Until then, I was giving advice. But coaches who just give advice are not making change happen. We have to cultivate the thinking and we have to actually make it work all the way through to implementation. My number four tip is don't say yes to everything. If it is at all possible, build in time for flexibility. So here's what happened when I first started coaching. On my very first day of coaching, I was in my room by myself feeling lonely. <laughs> I felt like nobody needs me. What have I done? I've made a huge mistake. Why am I here? I should be in the classroom with kids who are excited to start the new school day and they've got their brand new packages of crayons and they're all sitting at their seats with their little labels written on their desks and they're looking around shyly at all the other kids and waving to their friends from last year and they're not too naughty yet usually because they're third and fourth graders and so they kind of know what school is supposed to be and the first couple of days they've got some self-control still. <laughs> you're getting to know them and you're doing fun stuff. But I wasn't there. I was in my coaching room by myself alone and sad. And so I felt like, well, I've got so much time to fill. So I said yes to everything. Oh, I can help you with that. I can help you with that. Sure. Yeah, I can do that. No problem. But then all of a sudden, everyone needs you for everything. And you're on every team and you're facilitating every meeting. And the trouble with this is that you end up filling up your entire schedule with stuff and you don't have time for the things that matter the most. So you can listen to episode 48 to learn more about the four things you need to make time for every single week. 
I really recommend that you do make time for these four things because this is what's going to make it, make your coaching impactful. What happened to me was I was in meetings all the time. My husband called it death by meeting <laughs> because he has also worked for school districts in a different context and he knows what death by meeting feels like. I was in meetings every single day. And so that was pulling from my classroom teacher support time. So it's really important to think about what you're saying yes to when you have the control to say yes or no, and what the impact of that yes is going to be. Jenna Kutcher is a, um, well, she was a photographer, and now she's like a lifestyle type person, and she talks about um, business and how to run your own business. And one of the things she says all the time is that a yes to something is a no to something else. And it's true. If you say yes to have dinner with your friend, you're saying no to have dinner with your spouse. If you say yes, that you will um, run and pick up, you know, a, a run, and, run an errand and drop something off, then you're saying no to time at home, right? You're, it's a choice. That's Everything is a choice. And we're choosing one thing over another. So if we say yes to a committee, we're saying no to classroom time. Sometimes we have to say yes. Sometimes we don't have choices. Like my principal used to say, it's highly recommended, which meant you better do it. Right? But if you can choose, sometimes you have to go, you know what? I have a limited amount of time. I have these teachers who need my support and I need to say no to this one if it's at all possible. So uh, that's my recommendation is really be thoughtful about what you're saying yes to you because a yes to one thing is a no to something else. This is my last tip and it's, it seems like a really obvious one, but Whenever you're a brand new coach, or even if you're not, you're maybe in a new school, you have a new administration, or anything has changed like this whole past year of, of distance learning, my recommendation is figure out what the point of meetings are. Like, what's the point? And make sure it's clear to everyone. So this works on two levels. This works when you are leading the meeting, and it also works when you are not leading the meeting and you are a participant. When you are leading the meeting, for example... If we started looking at data as a grade level team, we did this once a week and teachers would come together and look at the data and then they'd complain about their students and the parents and then they would go on with their lives, right? What was the point? What's the point of sitting in a room, looking at numbers, saying, well, my students can't do this and they can't do that and they can't do this and the parents don't do this and, and then bam, time's up because we spent the whole time griping. That's not purposeful, Right. What did I want teachers to get out of that meeting? Well, I wanted them to think about adjustments to their teaching and then use data to create next steps. They wanted to show how struggling their students were so they could justify why they weren't doing well and explain all of the behaviors that led to that poor data. So while some of this is merited, I mean, I'm not saying that different classes aren't different. Absolutely, different classes are different. Behavior obviously impacts performance in any kind of task. It didn't help us improve teaching and learning. And if we're saying that we cannot possibly make a better, we cannot possibly go back to that classroom and make an improvement in the kind of instruction kids are getting, then what are we doing here, right? So instead, to make a real shift, a real change in the way that we were approaching these meetings, I started setting objectives that stated exactly what we were there to do. Analyze data to create a plan for next week or analyze data to create an intervention plan for students who need reteaching or whatever it was that we were going to focus on. So that is how I made the meetings that I was hosting with teachers really purposeful is I defined what they were going to walk away with. And I do talk about that in season one. 
in episode seven, you can learn about how to structure a really purposeful PLC, whether it's for data or learning or planning or whatever the purpose is, and how to make sure that people know what they're going to walk away with. So that way you can really focus your work and make it super purposeful during the meeting or PLC or whatever you're conducting. Now, this is a little different when you're a participant in the meeting because you don't always get to choose, <laughs> right? You don't get to set the objective. Sometimes you sit in meetings and you're just like, I'm, I'm floating in a sea of talk here. I don't know what the point of all this is. What am I walking away with? So for example, I used to sit in leadership meetings every week for two or three hours. And while there were elements of them that were very purposeful, there were also elements that felt wishy-washy, I guess, for the lack of a better word, they felt not concrete. They felt very abstract. And this is one of the points was whenever we go around and share our work. So our administration would say, this is the status of certain initiatives that she could see. And then I would take a lot of notes. And then each individual person would go around and talk about each grade level and what they saw happening. And then from that whole section, that was probably a good hour part of our whole meeting. After the end of that piece, I'd leave that, that, that meeting and I'd say, wait, what am I supposed to do? And so I needed to get clarification during the meeting as to what the intentions were for us to walk away with. So what I needed to do is say, okay, so then what is my next step? What am I responsible for? After we've gone around and we shared about all these grade levels, everything we've heard from the grade levels, everything that we're noticing, all the patterns that we're seeing, of course, without being too specific about teachers, it was really more of like an update on, um, on just how things were moving forward in terms of our planning together and things like that. We were talking about all these different abstract things, and then we didn't know what to do with it. So really, what I need to do in that meeting is say, what is my responsibility with this information? What do I need to be doing? And until I started doing that, I had a very uncomfortable, um, sort of mindless, not mindless, sort of directionless uh, feeling when I left leadership meetings. I was overwhelmed, but not because I had so much to do. I was overwhelmed because I didn't even know where to start and figure out what I was supposed to do. So I really recommend that if you are ever feeling that way at the end of a meeting, that you stop and say, I just need some clarification. What is my responsibility here? So that you can make sure that it's clear to you and that your administrator or whoever is hosting this meeting is clear with you about what you are expected to do. So those were the five lessons that I learned from my first year of coaching. One is really build those relationships purposefully. Two, was educate teachers about your role. Three is don't have all the answers. Don't even try. Four is don't say yes to everything. Build in that time for flexibility instead. And five is figure out what the point of meetings are and make sure that it's clear to everybody, whether you're hosting or whether you are a participant in the meeting. Some tool, uh, tools that I have that will help you do this work is my Instructional Coaching Binder Mega Pack. And you can check that out on TPT if you go to teacherspayteachers.com and you search for Instructional Coaching Binder Mega Pack, or if you search for uh, Christy Beltran, Buzzing with Miss B, that's me, my store will pop up and you will find this giant resource. It's got tons of reviews because so many people have purchased it and loved it. It's a zip file that includes fillable forms that you can type right into. It includes Google slide forms. It includes printable forms. 
and sample forms that show you what kinds of information you can plug in. It includes editable binder covers and calendars, and there are all different options. There are 15 different style options, so you can find the style that best suits you. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of the Anne because that is my, my favorite colors. They're blue and yellow flowers. But the coffee theme is a really cute one as well. And there are a bunch of other different choices. The confetti pattern party, that one I think I called um, Amy. That one's a really beautiful one as well. So check out the Instructional Coaching Binder Mega Pack in my TPT store because it's got so many tools that are going to help you organize and focus your work and hopefully minimize some of the mistakes <laughs> that I made as well. My next episode is going to be about a, co a coaching session with one of my guest coaches. We're going to chat about some challenges and some, um, some next steps that they can take. So I really hope that you join me next week for episode 65. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.